I'm going to ask that you stand, that we stand together for the reading of God's Word, and I'm going to ask that you join me in reading this passage together in unison, Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 to 15. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, we're going to focus on verses uh, 12 and 14 and 15 as we have been working our way through this prayer of our Lord and asking ourselves the question, how can we please God with our prayer and answering that question with the response that Jesus has taught us how to pray. We can come to God, we can come before Him wherever we are, here or there or anywhere, and we can lift up prayers to him that please God and know and have confidence that he is pleased with our prayer. My assumption is that we want to please God in all things and not less in our prayer than in other ways. But we have seen, if you've been here, that not all prayer pleases God. In fact, in this passage, in the context of this passage that we just read, there is uh, Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in which he particularly zeroes in on three kinds of prayer that does not please God. One is the prayer of hypocrites. And these were people who used prayer as a means to gain uh, glory for themselves. They stood in the marketplaces in the corners and prayed prayers and looked very pious. And Jesus condemned them for their attitude of seeking to, to lift themselves up rather than lift God up. They were using the very holy uh, act of prayer for their own glory and not God's. Certainly this is completely out of line. Another kind of prayer that Jesus condemned was the prayer of the Gentiles was prayer that was not based on knowledge of God and was not pleasing to God because it was sort of a manipulative type of prayer, kind of like those prophets on the Mount, prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel who chanted and, and ranted and went on and on trying to get God to send, their God to send fire on their offering, which didn't work. And there's a third kind of prayer that Jesus 
points out to us is not pleasing to God. And that's the prayer of those who ask for forgiveness, but don't give forgiveness. Don't show forgiveness to others. And he gives a warning about that. This morning we're going to talk about forgiveness in the context of prayer that pleases God. Now in this prayer, to review just briefly, there are six petitions. The first three are what God wants. And we see them here in the verses from verse uh, 9 down to verse uh, uh, 10. I'm sorry. For Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. First petition. God wants his name to be hallowed. Your kingdom come. And this is the the prayer that we ask because we want God's reign to be over all the earth. We desire that he rule as he should be and his rule be recognized. He certainly does rule over all the earth, but his rule is not recognized. And we pray that it would come. And then the third petition is that his will would be done in earth as it is in heaven. Heaven where everything is done according to God's will and here where there's still rebels against his will. We pray that his will would be done. So those are the first three petitions. And then there are three more petitions that focus on what we need. I have mentioned before that it might surprise us that the first petition is give us our daily bread. Seems so mundane after talking about things great like God's will and his kingdom and his holy name. And then we talk about bread. I like bread. We need bread. And that bread does not just mean, okay, bread, that's it. Don't, don't ask me for anything else. No cheese, right? Uh, so, but this is a sort of a icon for all the other things that we may ask for. All the things we need to sustain us in life. Bread being one of them. And the symbol of all the rest. And then he tells us that we should pray to forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And finally, the prayer for guidance. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So the prayers that we pray for ourselves are prayers that have to do with things we need for, to, be, to sustain our lives, just bread. Forgiveness what we need for our spiritual lives to be in right relationship with God. And guidance. Oh Lord, please lead me today, not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. We pray, or should pray. And so, today we focus on this fifth uh, petition, which says, forgive us our debts. And I'd like for us to think about this in three topics. First, our need for forgiveness, the basis for forgiveness, and the evidence of forgiveness. And then I will give you some thoughts on how we do that, practically speaking. So first of all, let's think about our need for forgiveness. When we come to God and we say, forgive us our debts, we are acknowledging before him that we owe him something. 
We need forgiveness from God because we owe a debt to God which we cannot pay. If you think about how this all got started and went down back in Genesis, it's easy to see how a great and mighty and wise and holy and gracious and loving God provided everything necessary for perfect life for man and woman on, in the garden. And how arrogant that the serpent should come into that place and seduce the woman into disobeying God's command not to eat of the fruit. And yet that's exactly what happened. And that became the beginning of sin and death in the human race. But so many times we, we hear people say, and maybe some of you might say, you know what, I don't understand this need to ask God for forgiveness. I, I don't identify with all of that sinful stuff. I feel like I'm good enough. I'm a good person. I've done the best I can. Really, I don't think this makes any sense. I'm not going to ask God for forgiveness. Why should I? And of course, the response to the scripture to that is that we're measuring ourselves not by God's perfection, but by man's concept of what is good and right. Jesus, in the same Sermon on the Mount, pointed out the, the impact of the law. That anger with someone is the same as murder because it's murder in our hearts. And who of us has not felt that sort of rage toward another person? When it, He also goes on to say that to lust is to commit adultery. Well, we might say, oh, I've never done that. And yet, who has not committed that sin in their heart? If we look at the law and we say, well, I, I think I keep all the law. In fact, Paul in Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says, By the law shall no one be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Only the law shows us our sin. And that tells us that we are condemned before him. So we need forgiveness. And we must own our debt. If you ever wondered how bad is the situation of human sin? How really bad is it? Take a look for a few moments or think in your mind to the cross of Christ. When you look at what Christ suffered in order to save sinners, it gives you a clue about how terrible is our sin. It gives us a clue to the weight of our debt and no matter how young or old or in between you may be and how little or much you think you have sinned, the, act, the issue is not how much we've sinned, but the issue is who we have sinned against. Any sin against the eternal God is a great sin and can only be atoned for by the blood of Christ, his son, dying on a cruel cross. For us. So I hope you see that we have a desperate need for forgiveness. Secondly, what is the basis for this forgiveness? Well, we obtain forgiveness, Scripture points out to us, by repenting of our sin, believing in Jesus, 
confessing our sin to God and asking for his mercy. But this is all on the basis of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Perhaps many of you and most of you might say today, well, I have believed on Christ and according to what I've understood, I'm saved, I'm given eternal life, I'm forgiven, uh, my sins are covered by him, by grace, through faith. Why do I need to continue to ask for forgiveness? Why is he saying, are you sure this prayer is meant for me? Do I need to be asking God again to forgive me of my sins? Well, notice that this prayer is addressed to people who call God their father. Our father in heaven, they pray, we pray. This is for God's children, this prayer. We are meant to pray to God, forgive us our debts once again. I think that the problem here lies in the fact that oftentimes we confuse different aspects of our salvation. And perhaps I'm a broken record on this subject, but I think it's important because for me it was confusing for a long time. When we believe in Christ, we are justified. That is, we are counted as righteous before God. His his righteousness is applied to us. We are we come with nothing. And then we are credited with right the righteousness of Christ to us. John explained it in John chapter 1 that those who believed in him who received Christ and believed in his name, he gave the power to become the children of God. We call this adoption. Many of us here are adopted children. But we're not adopted by human parents. We're adopted by the Heavenly Father through the mercy and grace of Christ. And this is one time forever. This is a transaction that happens when we believe and when we receive Christ. When He changes us, He regenerates us and we're converted and we pass into a new realm in our relationship to God. But there is an ongoing process which we call sanctification. And this is an ongoing thing that's going to continue in our lives. I'm bad news, but it's true. It's going to happen until we see him. So get used to it. Jesus illustrated this in a very unique way. In John chapter 13, and if you would like, you can turn to your, in your Bibles to John chapter 13, verses 6 to 11. Interesting thing occurs on the night in which Jesus would later be betrayed by Judas and arrested and tried and later the next day crucified. In that evening and that night when they gathered in that upper room for the Passover supper, an event occurs that's riveted in many of our minds as we read this over and over. But Jesus... In the midst of this scenario around the table, he gets up and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Verse 5, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? 
Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Hmm. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. Typical of Peter, he always went to extremes, right? Lord, you will never wash my feet. Lord, you must give me a complete bath right now. Let's get on with this. I want to be, I want to, I want 100%, I want 110%. Bring it on. And Jesus uses this opportunity to point out the difference between bathing and getting feet washed. This represents what Christ does in us. We are made clean by his washing of us. In the text that uh, Pastor Charlie read a few minutes ago from Titus, it talks about the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. When we came to know Christ, if we came to know Christ, we were washed. Our souls were washed. We were bathed. We became his. And we were justified. And we were adopted. We were reconciled to God. That could never change. But there is an ongoing, just as the disciples and everyone else in those days who walked the dusty roads of Judea would get dirty feet, there had to be an ongoing daily, regular washing of those feet. And he uses this opportunity to teach the difference between getting a bath and getting your feet washed. And so when we come in praying this Lord's Prayer and we come to this petition where we say, Forgive us our debts. We are saying, Lord, I have been walking around in this world and my feet are dirty again. I need your forgiveness. I bring my debt back to you for forgiveness once more. That is the basis for our forgiveness. And that is the reason why we continue, even though we are his, we continue to ask for forgiveness over and over again. Then there is the evidence of forgiveness. How do we show that we are forgiven? We show that we are forgiven by forgiving others. Listen to the text once again. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then in verse 14, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Well, this raises a significantly important question. And that is, now, do I earn forgiveness by forgiving other people? Is that what he's teaching here? If that were the, what he was teaching, it would be in conflict with everything else in Scripture. That our salvation is not by our works. As 
we heard earlier in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, that he saved us not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and put it this way, you know, you are dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but he made you alive in Christ. And now, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace you were saved through faith. And it is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Clearly, Jesus is not contradicting his own word and telling them that you must earn forgiveness by forgiving others. He clarifies this, and if we had time and another time, we can look at Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, we have Jesus telling us a parable of two debtors. Remember the story, perhaps. There's a debtor, and his master, he owes his master millions. It's an unpayable amount. So it's, it's, it's even beyond calculating the, the debt that he owes to his master. His master calls him in and says, pay up. And he begs and pleads for mercy. He says, I'll pay, just give me more time. And lo and behold, the surprise is the master says, you know what? You can't pay this. And you won't pay it. I'll pay it. You're free. You're forgiven. It's over. And he goes out. That ex-debtor, now freed from his debt. And he runs into his buddy who owes him 20 bucks. And he grabs him by the throat and he says, pay up, pay up. And his friend begs him for mercy. He says, please give me time, I'll pay it. And he says, no, I won't give you time. And he throws him in prison. And then the master comes, he learns what happened and he throws that original debtor in jail for his sin of not showing the same grace that he had received. What I think Jesus wants us to get here is the point that our forgiving of others is not the means by which we are forgiven, but it does demonstrate that we understand that we have been forgiven. It's important that we understand where we stand before God and that his forgiveness of our sins cost us. Think about the people who are debtors to you, I'm pretty sure we can all think of some one or some ones that owe us. The people who have lied to us or deceived us or betrayed us or humiliated us or cheated us, who double-crossed us or just ignored us and were mean. The people who gossiped about us. Think of those people. Would you forgive them? Stop and think about the fact that it costs someone to forgive every sin. The sins that have been committed against you, no one can pay those back. Oh, sure, if they stole 20 bucks, they can pay 20 back, maybe even add 10 more. But nobody can pay back the hurts and the pain and the suffering that sin causes when we sin against each other. 
And when someone sins against us, there's a price to be paid. But the one who commits that sin can't pay that price. Only you can pay that price. You pay for it by forgiving, by not holding anything against that person. You let the debt go. You say, never mind, it's gone. And I'll never bring it up again. It's forgotten. Well, it's not forgotten, but it's not, at least not on my mind. And I'm not going to use it against you. It costs to forgive. Yes, the debt that we owed to God was much greater than the debt that anyone else owes to us. But it's still a debt, and it still costs. So what do we do? Jesus warns us that unless we forgive, we haven't learned anything about God's forgiveness. And so we're warned to forgive from our hearts, to let the debt go. How do we do that? Well, sidebar here. I have been, over the last couple of weeks, been studying carefully a book called Resolving Everyday Conflict by Ken Sandy, the guy who wrote The Peacemaker. I did order some copies for you, but they didn't make it on time. So hopefully they'll be on the book's table in the future. You can look for it. Every, resolving Everyday Conflicts. It's a good book. I encourage you to get, get a copy and read it if you haven't. Let me give you some highlights from that. Here's some practical ways that we resolve the conflicts that are causing us to have a hard time forgiving. When you have been sinned against and you need to make things get things resolved, here's ways that you need things you need to keep in mind. We need to seek God's glory above all else. Remember, it's not about us, but it's about his glory. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Seek God's glory above all else. Next, overlook faults. Not everything is a big deal. Well, we shouldn't act like everything is a big deal, but sometimes it seems like it's easy to. Choose wisely which hills to die on. Overlook faults. Next, seek to learn grace through conflicted relationships. You know, we never are as godly, we're never more godly than when we do the things that God does. What God does is forgive us freely and pays the bill himself. When we do that, we are approaching Christ-likeness, godliness. So seek to learn grace through conflicted relationships. Next, ask, what part did I play in this conflict? Hmm. How might I have had a part in this? Well, it was all their fault. It was mostly their fault. Well, it was a little bit my fault. A little bit my fault? How much was my fault? Oh, let's do numbers, right? Um, half? Oh, no, no, not, not half. 25%? Mm, I don't think so. How about 2%? Yeah, okay, well, uh, all right, it's 2% my fault. Ken Sandy, in his book, he says, let's say 2% is your fault, but you own 100% of the 
Good math. And so focus on the part that you owe, not on the part, the 98% that you don't owe. This will help. Next, Jesus even said this very clearly, not just Ken Zandy. Pray for your enemies. Pray for your enemies and those who despitefully use you. Hmm. What happens when you pray for people? What happens when you pray for enemies? Well, that's hard to do, but if you do it, it will change your heart. God might even use it to change their heart. Next, seek to make peace. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, just earlier in that same sermon, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Ladies too, you know, you're included. Blessed are the peacemakers. Seek to make peace. Next, assume the best. When you're trying to resolve a conflict and there's sin that's been committed, do you ask questions and listen? Or do you jump to conclusions? Assume the best. We are called, according to James 1, 19 and 20, to be quick to hear, slow to speak. And slow to anger. Assume the best. Next. Find your complete fulfillment. In God alone. You know that. It's been said that our hearts are idle factories. That is not idle I-D-L-E. But I-D-O-L. Idle factories. We concoct and erect idols in our hearts of things that we want, that we must have, that we feel like we deserve, and that will fix everything. These are sometimes, oftentimes, good things that replace God in our hearts. Destroy the idols and find your complete fulfillment in God. Along with that is the idea of reducing the demands that we place upon others. There's a, a book, the author, um, I believe is Ed Welch, who says we, learn to, we need to learn to love people more and need them less. Love them more and need them less. It's been helpful to me. Then take the initiative to make peace. Well, I didn't do anything. It's their problem. It's in their balls in their court. No. Scripture tells us that it's always my move, whether I was sinned against or whether I sinned against someone. Read Matthew 5 and Matthew 18 for clarity on that. Always take the initiative to make peace. As much as it depends upon you, Paul writes in Romans 12, as much as it depends upon you, live at peace with all people. And then expect to repeat granting forgiveness again and again. And I'm in debt to uh, Pastor Charlie for this story about Luther, Martin Luther. And he used this great illustration. He was looking in the mirror and he saw that he needed to shave. So he shaved. And a few days later, he looked in the mirror again and lo and behold, he needed to shave again. And he said, you know what? When I see that I need to shave, I don't say, you know what? I must not have done a good job of shaving the other day. I failed in my shaving. I need to 
do a better job of shaving, he says, I just shave again. Have you realized the pain of forgiving? And it comes back. It doesn't go away. You forgive, but the pain remains. And you have to shave again. You have to grant forgiveness again. Sometimes many, many times. My friends, we who desire to please God in all things, and especially in our prayer, we can pray in ways that please Him if we will ask Him for forgiveness and at the same time grant forgiveness to everyone who has sinned against us and who repents and asks for it. We can please God by owning our own debt, by coming to Him in faith and repentance and asking Him daily for a new, fresh washing of our feet. Making forgiveness a way of life. Letting go of anger. Forgiving in the same way that we want God to forgive us. And indeed, He has forgiven us. This morning, we're going to come to this table. Just a few minutes. Let us have the mind of Christ, who though He was equal to God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself for us. Let us do the same for our brothers and sisters. Amen. Let's pray. Father, now take your word, apply it to our hearts as needed for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.